Hello and welcome to Falmouth Vineyard's audio podcast. We're really grateful that you're joining us today. Our vision is to see Cornwall coming alive through the hope and freedom that Jesus brings. To find out more about who we are or how to connect with us, visit falmouthvineyard.org. We'd love to hear from you. As I said earlier, a special warm hello to everyone here for the first time, especially if you are just on that journey of exploring faith. So we fully expect there to be people every Sunday who have no idea who Jesus is, no idea why we sing, no idea why we do church. So if that is you, you are so welcome. It is great to have you with us this morning. Um, as a church, we read the Bible every week. You're like, yeah, of course you do. You're a church. That's what you should do. Don't take that for granted. So we believe this is God's word, his, his instruction, and it's the history of God interacting with humanity over thousands of really formative years. I am going to do my best not to cough too much this morning. Every time I try to speak, I cough. So I've got my glass of water ready. I purposefully didn't have a coffee because Andy said that ruins your voice. If you have a coffee just before you speak, I was like, well, last five years it's been okay. But <laughs> maybe if you're singing, it's a bit different. Um, Andy's leading worship over there, over for the kids. Oh, let's just pray for them. Let's be, start by praying for the kids. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you have blessed us with families and with children, that we invest in this, this generation that's rising up, that's catching something of the, the gift of Jesus, the gift of life, the gift of meaning, the gift of hope. And Lord God, we pray for kindling, we pray for sparklers, for ignite and for wildfires, that they would all be fanned into flame, this gift of God. Pour out your spirit on them, Lord God. Empower their leaders with patience, with love, with kindness, and above all, fun. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at a letter written to one of the churches that was first started or planted or established just over 2,000 years ago um, in Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece. It was a Roman colony at the time, and it was started by a guy called Paul. But he wasn't always called Paul. He used to be called Saul, and this happens quite a lot in the Bible. When something happens to a person and God breaks into their life and God says, now I'm going to call you Paul instead. So Saul um, didn't always, let's say he didn't always preach about Jesus, didn't always plant churches, didn't always um, do this. In fact, he didn't really like Christians at all. His old job, <clears throat> before he talked to everyone about Jesus, was to be the most religiously zealous person he could be. And he thought this message of Jesus, the first Christians, these first followers, he thought they were really dangerous, and he ultimately thought they should be crushed. So he made it his mission to destroy the early church, to persecute the Christians, and to kill them. And he was worried about this teaching, about this Jesus bloke, this son of Joseph, this carpenter from Nazareth, that he would say, and these people would believe, that he was the son of God. But Jesus' disciples, hundreds of them at this point, maybe even thousands, were claiming that after Jesus was crucified, he rose from the dead, proving who he said he was. Now this guy Saul, as he was called then, made it his mission to destroy the early church and any Christians he can find. But God broke into Saul's story and met him as he traveled on the road to Damascus. I'm really always 
jumps out in the page of the Bible and you're like, oh, I know where that is. That's, in, that's, that's there now. It's not like a fairy tale made up in history. This is a real place that he was traveling to. So Saul, on this road to Damascus, heard the voice of Jesus asking him why he, Saul, was persecuting him. He was confronted by the person of Jesus. You can read the whole story, your homework this week, Acts chapter 9. People have a perception that the Bible is hard to read and a bit confusing, but my recommendation, if you want to dive into this story, read through Luke and Acts, two books in the New Testament. They run together. It's the same guy that wrote both of them. It will give you a clear picture, a detailed picture, of who Jesus is and the message he was demonstrating and the, and the message he preached and the effect it had on the Jews and the Gentiles in the region. So Saul was transformed into Paul. It's a great story. You need to read it. And he was given a new name, and he was given a new identity. He was saved, and he was set free. And because he suddenly realized who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, that he was the long-awaited Messiah, that he was God's chosen Son, he was the rightful King, because Paul realizes this, the whole trajectory of his life is changed. So then... Instead of traveling around persecuting the church, instead of finding Christians to kill them, he, tells, he travels around telling people about Jesus and starting new churches. Even though he was the most religious and devout person that they could have imagined meeting, but in Jesus and in placing his faith in him, he is transformed into this loving, grace-filled Christian. He's been transformed. You would not have recognized that he was the same person. And if you're here this morning searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for God, asking whether he is real, asking whether Jesus is really the Son of God, asking whether there is hope for you, you are in a great place for answers to those questions. So as I said, one of the towns that Paul traveled to was called Philippi. As I said, it's a real place, archaeologists studying it at the moment. As I said earlier, he planted or started or established a new church there. That was kind of what happened. If you think about the world before, churches everywhere, someone had to start those communities, establish these new churches. But it wouldn't have been churches like this. It wouldn't have had buildings like this or the formality of this. They mostly would have met in people's houses. And every now and again, Paul would send letters to the churches that he'd started. And sometimes if he'd heard that they were going super off track, would write a letter saying, I've heard what's going on, cut it out, come on, let's come back to the gospel, what are you doing? I've heard these people have got into your church and they've taken you off track, come on, come back on track. Um, but he's writing to the church in Philippi with much more gentler tones, with loads of encouragement and gentle correction, which we'll come on to in the next chapter. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you haven't got one, they're free on the info desk, turn to the New Testament, which is to the right of your Bible, and look for the book or the letter to the church in Philippi, and it's called Philippians. So Let's just pray before we launch in, because it's good to just ask God to speak to us through the words, through his Bible. So, Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us? Would you, would you bring these words to life? Would you um, speak to our souls, not to us, to our heads? Would we grow in depth of love and of knowledge? Um, and would we be transformed by this text? Would you pray for an openness and a receptiveness and a humility as we approach this passage? In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So it should come up on the screen behind. So Philippians chapter 2. Oh, we're up to chapter 2. And we're up to verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Quotes, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the words of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. As always, when we take these chunks of Philippians, there's probably about three talks in this passage, maybe four. There is so much depth and wisdom to look into. So I'm sorry, not sorry. We're only going to touch on a few things this morning. But we're going to start with this. I love the way that Paul addresses them. There is real affection in this letter. And of course, because it's there is a, that therefore, he is building this argument on what he has just previously said, what we looked at last week. Last week, we looked at this song or this poem that Paul writes to them. And it appears to be like a song that might be well known, but we've got no idea who wrote it. But the song earlier in the passage describes the divinity of Jesus. Jesus as God, the fact that he is God, but in becoming man, veils or covers or clothes his divinity, which for my simple way of thinking is a bit like Superman becoming Clark Kent. He doesn't stop being Superman, but he puts on this identity of Clark Kent. He doesn't stop being Superman, but he limits his Superman powers to be Clark Kent and be a normal man. Funnily enough, that's not a perfect analogy. You're, you're, you're like, I've never heard that before. It's like, there's a good reason you've not heard that before. It's flawed. So, Jesus is fully God, but limits his glory and his power. The song goes on to describe the humility of Jesus. The, to obedience of, the obedience of Jesus, not only to become a man, but ultimately to suffer death. Which if you think, if you are God, the divine, the eternal, to suffer death, but not just death. Death in the worst way the Romans had imagined, nailed to a wooden cross until he died. And we looked at the fact, and you can catch up with the talks on our YouTube channel, we looked at the fact that this was no ordinary death, that this, in Jesus' death, God was exposing the sin of the world and the injustice of the world. Jesus was crucified, completely innocent and sinless. The Bible describes that Jesus took on himself all the sin and the shame and the guilt of the world, but the story doesn't end on Good Friday, after the gloom and the disappointment and the frustration and the despair of Easter Saturday, at daybreak on Easter Sunday, the disciples discover an empty tomb and a risen Savior. And we believe that that the core of our faith is that if we place our faith in the person, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if we place our faith in him, that when he suffered on the cross, he was experiencing that pain instead of us. He was experiencing that separation instead of us. So Paul describes this song of finishes 
with this image of the resurrected Jesus elevated in glory. And ultimately, Christians believe that that is the first fruits. That is the start. That is the prototype. That is an example of what will happen to us, that death will just become a doorway into the next life, that we don't fully die. We are in glory with Jesus. And Jesus raising from the dead gives us this example. So Paul describes this song and finishes with the image of the resurrected Jesus, elevated in glory, that with God saying that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge that he is Lord to the glory of God. Slide one, Karis. This is where we pick it up. As I said earlier, Paul addresses his dear friends. He calls them beloved. Now, one of the only times you are likely to be called beloved, or beloved, I like to say, um, is part of a wedding congregation. Dearly beloved, the vicar might say, we are gathered here today in the sight of God, and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Does anyone ever get called beloved apart from at a wedding ceremony? It's very unusual, isn't it? Unless that might be a pet name you guys have for each other, which is beautiful, by the way. Dearly beloved, a quick pause here because it's important that you hear Paul's tone in this letter to the church. It's God's tone to us. It's God's tone to you. You are dearly loved. You are beloved. Maybe you've not heard that before. Maybe you've come to church this morning expecting criticism. You expect judgment, maybe even hostility. But the gospel of Jesus, the good news message of Jesus, is that because God loves you so much, so purely, so passionately, he wasn't prepared to leave you walk away from him. He pursues you and he wants to have a relationship with you. The creator of the cosmos created you to be in relationship with him. That's why we feel lost and meaningless without him. So Paul says, therefore, beloved. The therefore is there for this reason. He has shown the example of Christ, of Jesus, in verses 5 to 11, which we looked at last week. He has held up Jesus as an example of who was obedient to the Father. And he did that from the moment he left the throne of heaven in coming and living as a man in suffering to obedience to death, even death on a cross. So Paul is, encourages the church in Philippi to carry on in this vein of obedience, to persist in what they're already doing. And Paul says, I'm not there, but I trust you will be obedient even though I am not there. It's a bit like when parents walk out the room, isn't it? You're like, are the kids going to stay being good or are they going to start fighting again? And you turn, you look around the door, it's like, oh no, they've gone back to what they were doing before. Well, Paul's hoping that the church, in his absence, will carry on in their obedience, whether he's there with them or not. And he says they are to work out their salvation, work out their freedom from sin. Because salvation, can, oh, I'm going to want that later. The NLT, which is another translation for the Bible, puts it this way. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Slide two, Karis. This is how I think about working out our salvation or working out our faith. Because he's not saying you earn your salvation by works, because that would con contradict all of the other teachings of Paul. It's not working hard work brings you salvation. It's not effort that equals salvation, because salvation, this freedom that Jesus brings, is a gift. Through faith in Jesus, we are brought into the house, almost, of salvation. Forgiveness is like the doorway into this house. 
It's how we enter. God forgives us and we receive this forgiveness of sin. We enter into this house of salvation. Now, you can stay there. You could live in the hallway. Forgiveness is the doorway into the house. It's how we enter. But you could just live in the entrance hall. Some people have their faith and they stay there, accepting that their sins are forgiven, but not really moving on. The working out of our faith is about moving into the house and let God work in every room of the house. Because God wants to redeem, clean, purify, and restore every element of our lives. So the question may be, if you keep on this analogy of our salvation or our souls being like a house, which room, what part of our lives are we keeping off limits? God, I'm happy for you to redeem my kitchen what I eat, and my lounge, my community, or maybe my appetite, but keep out of my bedroom. My relationship, my sexuality is absolutely out of bounds to you, God. The perception of Christianity is that it is a list of rules and regulations. Don't do this, stay away from that. But you can understand that word salvation, or one of the ways to translate that word salvation, is freedom. Jesus describes his mission in Luke 4, verse 18, right at the beginning of his ministry by saying this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. To proclaim freedom, not give you rules, not give you regulations, tell you to stop doing everything, to proclaim freedom from all of that stuff. John Stott says this, freedom comes in two dimensions. There is freedom from and there is freedom for. The salvation offered by Jesus is freedom from guilt, the burden of our sin, the stuff we've done that we regret, the stuff we are ashamed of. We've all done stuff that we are ashamed of. It's also freedom from the penalty of our sins. But the salvation offered by Jesus is also freedom from the sin, the hold that sin has on us as well. It's freedom from the desire and compulsion to sin. It's freedom for the kingdom of the God. It's freedom, true freedom. The incredible door into this freedom is obedience. That's what Paul's talking about in this passage. It's submission to the authority that Jesus has in our lives. Jesus says this to his disciples in John 8. If you hold or if you obey to my teachings, you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth always brings freedom, no matter how painful it is. You want to know if you have accidentally spilt your lunch down your t-shirt. That truth is truth that's going to set you free from walking around all day with a big red stain on your top. You need to hear that truth, even if it's painful. You want someone to tell you, if you've put your jumper on inside out. That is a truth you just need to know, rather than everyone just going, yeah, you look great, thanks, good. And everyone's like, what? and they get to the end of the day, like, why didn't no one tell me? Like, how does it, on t- knowing looks from the room. Um, we've accidentally drawn on your face when you've been fiddling with a pen. Have you ever done that? You need someone just to say, do you know you've got pen all over your face? Your lips are covered in ink. Oh, thank you. I didn't know that. That truth is going to set me free from looking like someone with penal face all day. Anyway, slide three. The working out of our salvation through obedience is the working out of faith. The working out of obedience is done in fear 
and trembling. Now, Paul says this, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Like, if you were going to describe your faith to someone, you say, yeah, it's really good. I spend a lot of time in fear and trembling. Like, what do you think of when you hear that phrase, work out your faith in fear and trembling? We have to be really, really careful about how we approach this passage and how we approach this verse. Maybe you grew up being taught to fear God. Be good because God's watching. He sees everything you do. And while that's true, it really does give the impression that God's constantly watching you, waiting for you to slip up and get it wrong. It causes the wrong type of fear in us. Everything that the Bible teaches is designed to bring people to God, not keep people from God. We absolutely should not have a fear of God that keeps us from going to God in any situation, no matter what we've done or where we find ourselves in. The fear of God never means the fear of turning to God. It's about reverence and awe of who God is, his holiness, his character, his promises, what he has done. The best description of how we can approach God is given by Jesus. We looked at it on the MCU Christian Union weekend away last weekend. They did two talks, I think, maybe three, on the prodigal son who turns, this is a story Jesus tells, because they're like, what is God like? And Jesus tells this story to describe God the Father. This would have blown their mind so he talks about this son that squanders everything he has. One day he asks his father for his inheritance, his share of the money, the share of the estate, the share of the business, the share of the land. The father, unbelievably in the story, gives him what he wants. And the son leaves. He travels far away, squanders the money with wild living. But the money is wasted and it goes and then famine comes to the land. And Jesus tells the story that the prodigal son reaches rock bottom when he wants to eat the food that he's feeding to the pigs that he's looking after. This is the low point. He resolves and he comes to his senses and says, decides to set out back to his father's farm, back to his father's house, knowing that he doesn't deserve restoration, reconciliation or redemption. But he still sets out to return home. But the passage says, and you can read it for yourself this week, Luke chapter 15. It says that while the son was a long way off. And I imagine the father has a routine. I'm reading into the story here. A ritual every morning with his coffee. He makes his way to the edge of his land, setting off in the direction that he just last saw his youngest son go. And he does this every day as a routine. He watches for the sun. Weeks turn into months and months turn into years. But finally, the day comes when the father spots the sun in the distance. And Jesus describes the father as seeing the son and being moved by deep compassion. And he runs out to the son. He restores him. He is reconciled to him. And he redeems him. We should never fear returning to God. But let's work this salvation out throughout every part of our lives in awe and reverence of who God is. Paul goes on to say this, if you do this, if you work out your faith, if you work out your salvation, if you work out your freedom, if you do this without grumbling and arguing with each other, so read, you might want to be tempted to, you may be tempted to argue, you may be tempted to grumble, but in fact expect 
you might expect actually to grumble and argue, but resist that temptation. But slide four, the result of this, our community working out this salvation, our freedom, our faith, through all and in reverence of God, allowing this to encompass their whole lives, not restricting it just to Sundays, the resulting community or church will shine like stars among the darkness of the culture it is living in. Maybe you know someone who seems to shine like a star within your friendship group, within your family, within your house or on your course, someone who just seems to shine. They seem to delight in truth. They have integrity. They show respect. They have a sense of freedom and joy that are rooted in a submission and obedience and a reverence and awe of the word of God. They're honest. They're probably not perfect. In fact, they're definitely not perfect. But they're working out their faith. There is an invitation this morning. There is an invitation today. The gospel of Jesus is good news, and it's the good news of freedom. Freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, and freedom from the hold of sin on our lives and the destruction that, if we're honest, we know that brings to us. The world tells us that freedom means we are free to do whatever we want, no matter the consequences or the pain it causes us or those around us. The world says you can't have restrictions and boundaries and still have freedom, but this is just the freedom to stay addicted, to stay hooked, to stay guilty, and the freedom to stay lost. But Jesus offers this freedom to love, the freedom for his kingdom, the freedom of a clean conscience, the freedom of security in being loved, the freedom of feeling the smile and the favor of God on your life. And that's a tiny bit of what Paul's talking about in this passage. And I realize I've not actually covered the whole thing, but that's what we've got time for. Do you want to stand? Should we pray for each other? One of the kind of what we try and do at the end of each service is just to create a space where we listen to God. Because one of the things we believe is actually God didn't just write the Bible and that was the end of every revelation. That God still speaks to us even though we are failed, a bit veiled. We see and hear incompletely, but God still works through us. So Tim had a word earlier. It would be great if you could share that, Tim. So we we love to like hear on behalf of each other. And Within that, the discernment process for the church is to weigh, is to test against Jesus, is to test against the Bible and weigh up what God says through the church. So I said that on Sunday night, the worship night, but I realized that was probably new for some people. Paul, Tim, do you want to just share what you, what you felt God say? Uh, it, um, yeah, excuse the muddleness of how it will come across, but as, as, as Nathan said, kind of sift through and weigh, and there might be something some kind of a, a kernel in there somewhere to, 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 to grab hold of. Um, as we're worshipping, as we're singing about speaking the name of Jesus, uh, I was just, uh, and, uh, and Jesus coming, Jesus, uh, uh, yeah, kind of God, God kind of um, uh, making his kingdom come on earth. I think Ruth said as well about, uh, yeah, just kind of God's kingdom coming on earth. And I just got this, this kind of reminder that, yes, we pray about God's kingdom coming. We pray about uh, um, miraculous changes happening in the world, happening to people, happening to situations around us. And that's right to, to pray about it. 
but also just reminded that actually, that actually God does miracles, but also we're his hands and his feet uh, in this world. And it's not enough just to pray that these situations change. It's actually an encouragement to, to get out there and be doing the stuff ourselves. The way that God's kingdom comes on earth is by us actively doing it and bringing God's kingdom. I hope that makes sense. Thank you. I waited when Tim explained it during the break. I was like, actually, it feels like it's that outworking of faith outworks from us. Like it's the activity of the kingdom outside of here. So we'd love to create a space for prayer. So if anything in the talk has challenged you or spoken to you or you need someone to stand alongside you and just to pray with you, it may be you felt an area or a room of your life where you just need to let God into, that you realize you've been keeping out of bounds, you've locked the door on it. We'd love to pray through that with you. Um, it may be this morning, actually, you've never heard that before, never heard the story of the prodigal son or you've never heard the fact that God loves you or that actually Jesus died for you full restored relationship with you and you want to respond to that we'd love 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 to pray for you as well maybe you've come in this morning just wanting some physical healing we we believe god heals today not all the time but sometimes he does and we step out in faith and in partnership with him to see god heal so if you've come in this morning thinking actually i'm not going to say anything because you'll be like oh i didn't haven't got that so Anything physically, we'd love to pray for you as well. But we realize as well, some of you got big stuff happening in your lives this week, hospital appointments, other things like that. So it'd be great to pray for you as well. So music's going to come on. Jamie, would that be all right? Well done. Sensitive music too. Nice. Um, sometimes we turn it as like one of the kids' dance tracks. It's like, nope, inappropriate. Uh, so um, push your way out. Come down the front. It's just easier to spot people to be prayed at the front for at the front. Um, if you've come with someone, you want them to pray with you, just do that. That's absolutely fine as well. Um, holy chaos, you're allowed to move. Permission given to move from your seats. Let's pray.